What's up, guys? I'm EJ Stewart. Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. Man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about on today's show. Plenty of drama in Philadelphia, where all-star point guard Ben Simmons is refusing to show up to work until he gets a trade. That is at least according to multiple reports. We have head coaches going on national TV, basically begging them to come back. We got uh, people attacking the camp of Ben Simmons on sports radio. I saw Mike Missinelli in Philly going after Rich Paul, going after reporters. So it's just very messy right now in Philadelphia. We'll give you guys the latest on that and our thoughts on how that situation will play out. Also, a major firing in the NBA. The Minnesota Timberwolves can their president of basketball operations, Gerson Rosas. A lot of scandalous stuff happening with that situation. So we'll give you guys an update on that as well. This NBA season is right around the corner, Kendall. I'm really excited. We only got a couple of weeks away until the game start. We only, you know, a days away until the training camp. And there are growing concerns about vaccination statuses of some players and how that may affect their ability to take the court in their own home games. So it's a very fascinating situation. I'm excited to get to that part of the show. And we'll talk some football as well. Big win by the Ravens last week. We'll talk about whether or not they can uh, take that momentum into the rest of the season after beating the Chiefs in a classic on Sunday Night Football and a mega showdown in L.A. at what I agree with Master Tefestacion. Shout out to him. is one of the most beautiful stadiums you'll ever see. SoFi Stadium uh, where you'll see the Buccaneers take on the home team, the, the Los Angeles Rams out in Inglewood. So it should be a great show. Kendall's Court comes at the end of the show. Of course, Kendall is my co-host today. And Kendall, man, I got to tell you, I know that I've fallen for the bait. You know, you always see that Twitter post when you always see that post when someone posts something, uh, you know, kind of scandalous on Twitter or like something that's clearly kind of uh, trying to just like ruffle feathers and troll people. You'll immediately see someone underneath post that gif of someone saying that's bait. You know, that's from I think Tom uh, Hardy. Yeah, yeah, Tom Hardy. I think from Mad Max. And I, I, I I gotta admit, I've fallen for the bait. I've fallen for the bait because. ESPN and SI have both been putting out their top 100 players list. And we all know what the list do. They, we all know they drive clicks. They drive uh, they drive traffic. And that's why these websites do it. Um, and they, they're supposed to get you riled up. They're supposed to get you angry. They're supposed to get you frustrated. Um, because you're taking what is a very subjective sport. <laughs> and inserting a very kind of... Uh, black and white opinion on something that's very subjective. So there's no way there's going to be very much agreement. But I got to be honest, I'm reading these lists, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm seeing. A lot of disrespect happening for some New York Knicks players. A lot of guys, to me, looking very overrated. And I got to admit, I fell for the bait. And now here I am on my podcast doing what ESPN and SI want me to do, which is spend uh, minutes and time talking about their top 100 list. I, I don't even know if uh, SI finished. I know ESPN, I think, is up to, like, 11, I think. But um, all I know is the list did not include R.J. Barrett, which is insane to me. Um, and it, it, it excluded Julius Randles from the top 40. So I, I just – it's unbelievable to me. Uh, those were two wild omiss- omissions from both part- parties. I think SI had Julius Randle also, I think, at, like, 41 or something like that. They were very close in numbers um any major takeaways from these lists that like also frustrated you kendall or did you also not fall for the bait were you not really paying attention uh so i'm looking at the most recent uh dropping uh i didn't 
Um, I didn't check. I didn't look at it until now. They have twenty-five to six on ESPN. I, they went to I didn't six really dig okay. to, I didn't know they went to six. To the SI one. Um, look, they've got they've got Chris Paul ahead of Jason Tatum, so uh, that's all you need to know. <laughs> I know. I know. Me and you were were very concerned about whether that Marcus Smart would make it, but he did make the list at forty-nine. Yeah, you know, at first he wasn't in the top, he wasn't in the top 100 to 51. So I was like, if you, there's a lot of guys that were in this bubble of either, I guess they're in the top 50 or they didn't make it. You know, Evan Fournier was in that conversation. Right, yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought DeAndre Hunter was in that conversation. Yeah, we talked about DeAndre Hunter because they were, yeah. they were. That's how, that's how like inconsistent that list was. That you had no idea where they were going to put some of these guys. So smart, I I fell under the camp that I think I thought smart would make it. He ended up being 49, which is, again, makes sense because I was like, I, there are the case to, to be made that he won't even make this list. But I don't, I think the gap between, like, Norman Powell and Marcus Smart is, like, way too big. Yeah, I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm a huge Marcus Smart fan, but how's Norman Powell 100? I think Powell was 100 on both lists, which is really wild it, to it's me. Very, very ironic, right? Um, yeah, it's very weird for us how that, that shaked out, but... It's like, did they pull the same people? Because, again, Jules Randle, I think, was one spot different, 41 and 42. But, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, yeah, there was, there was a lot of weird stuff. I mean, to me, I, I and I told you, I thought. They got uh, Bradley. I'm sorry. I'm, like, looking. Yeah, Bradley Beal's at 11. Yeah, and I think. that 11? I think that's preposterous. Who, 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 who thinks Bradley Beal is better than Jason Tatum? I want to talk to that guy. Because clearly yeah, he a, didn't watch the Olympics where, I mean, look, I know Beal only played a couple games, so he had to leave, but. Even in those couple games, I, it was very clear who was not who was better between those two guys. Yeah, Bradley Beal, I thought was was highly overrated. Um, he's a great player, definitely a top twenty five player. But I don't think he, I, I don't think I don't think he's better than Donovan Mitchell. No, I don't think so either. I think I mean I think it's a conversation, but I don't think so. a conversation. I agree with conversation. I definitely agree with. I do not think yeah, he's better. They, than there's him. a pretty big gap there, and like they have the difference between they have Zach Levine at like thirty three or something like that, which I'm I'm mostly fine with, but. Why is he? Why is he so low and Beal so high? What's the difference between anything they've done? I saw someone on Twitter made the case that Trey Young is definitely better than Chris Paul. That's a conversation that can be had, and I, you know, I think if you're talking like impact, I would probably say yes. There's a lot of intangible stuff that I can't really, you know, I can't. That's the conversation with Draymond Green, where it's like, right. yeah, I mean, tangibly, I guess you could say Draymond's a top fifty guy, but. There's no statistical metric to suggest that Draymond should be in top 50 or that. For those uh, at home, by the way, uh, Trey Young is 17. Chris Paul is 13. I yes. also think I also think Paul George is definitely better than Bradley Beal. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Bradley Beal doesn't play, any, he doesn't play any defense. Yeah, exactly. You know, and. Jason Tatum plays defense. And he, I, mean, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, think, I, I think that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know who's voting on this list, honestly. I mean, there were a lot of weird weird things uh when i go back to the to the to the 50s rankings um i don't know well i, I think i think to me i thought the worst grouping was still the 100 to 50 like i just couldn't believe so there were a lot of that, odd that actually made the team made the list I, I that you know i mean buddy he I, to me the two guys that i thought were the most overrated on this list were buddy healed at 51 and whatever lonzo ball was I don't remember exactly where he was. It was 57. 57. I mean, some of the point guards they had ranked ahead of Lonzo. They had ranked that behind Lonzo Ball was just laughable to me. You, I don't know, who, 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 shouldn't have been on the list. 
Oh yeah, Larry Markin also. I mean, the Bulls got some some very favorable rankings on this. Bulls and Cavs, yeah. Yeah, Bulls and Cavs. One thing I will say is that this list clearly told me that they now we I know why I mean Tibbs won play coach of the year. They think the Knicks are just like the sisters of the poor. Like they just <laughs> they just think they got bombs on that team. Cause that the way, they, they, yeah, oh yeah, they love Mitchell Robinson and they, Derrick they're Rose. High on Mitch, but everyone, but everyone else, else they just like uh you know, it was a long year for them. Cause yeah, I don't know how many teams got guys that are way better than the Knicks that were terrible. Like I don't know how the Kings and the Cavs were so bad last year, <laughs> given the rankings that that they have for yeah. their guys this season. And I'm telling you, those teams better. I'm, those teams better improve according to these again according to this ESPN ranking. Oh, <laughs> why there's no there's no reason for those teams not to be in the playoffs with some of the rankings we saw here. Um, am I crazy to think that? Uh, that Heald is not a 50, the fifty first best player in the NBA. Uh, no. Uh, and the way the way I the way I measure it up is that Tim Hardaway Jr. was like seventy five or something like that. He's somewhere in the mid seventies, and he, you know, no one's no one's complaining. You know, I think I think Tim Hardaway is That's for a the fine most part spot for him. Yeah. yeah, it's a fine spot for him. It's hard to really gauge. You know, some may say he's overrated, but before he gives, you know, Dallas and. You know, playing with Luca, his value is increased playing on that on that squad. Um, but statistically, he has the exact same numbers as Buddy Heal, uh, who's on a worse team. You know, whose team didn't make the playoffs. They put up the exact same numbers, and Heal is fifty-one. Hardaway's in the mid seventies. So I don't know if Heal was in the mid seventies, that'd be a fine, that'd be a fine spot. No one would complain, but. You know, when you want to overrate some of these guys for whatever reason, I mean, I think, again, you talked about the Cavs with, with Sexton and Garland being, like, and look, it's hard. with They're, they're, being, they're being overrated, but it's hard to it's hard to gauge some of these young players because, honestly, the, the, the dumb thing about the ESPN list is not even the rankings are controversial, but they're subjective. But what's dumb about their process is that it's a projection of the upcoming season. So, in theory, they'll never be wrong. Because they can drop a list, and if the list looks crazy, they can say it's not about what they've done; it's what we think they're going to do. Right. And then the next year, they'll say, "Yeah, but we think this guy this season is going to have." They can continue to say, well, "Yeah, we think this guy's going to have a big year, year in and year out, even if there's nothing to prove." And I will say that Garland has been like a very like he's becoming a very trendy guy for people to kind of yeah, buy break stock out. in, right? I mean, you know, he, he didn't have a ter- he didn't have a terrible year. Um, he had some decent moments. He got the, the opportunity to play with Team USA this summer a little bit. Um, is it know, a guarantee? He, are we are we sure that Darius Garland is better than Dennis Schroeder? I'm not sure of that. No, we're not sure of that. And look, I'm not saying Schroeder should have been on the list, but Schroeder had put up comparable stats on a on a playoff team. Garland's team, we know, was one of the worst teams in the league. He had a couple more explosive offensive performances than Schroeder did, but they're probably During, a lot. Getting back to my beef with R.J. Barrett, <laughs> which I know for a lot of people in the NBA lexicon, they're tired of Knicks fans complaining about disrespect for R.J. Barrett. And I'll be honest, I think Knicks fans, like myself, are tired of talking about disrespect to R.J. Barrett. And I'm not saying R.J. Barrett should be in the top 30, should be in the top 50 even. But, again, I'm just going to read you a list of guys and just give me an honest assessment as a non-Knicks fan who is not high on R.J. Barrett coming into his NBA career. 
then am I crazy to think that R.J. Barrett is way better than these guys? Am I crazy to think that R.J. Barrett is way better than Danilo Gallinari? Uh, no. Am I crazy to think he's way better than Steven Adams? No. Am I crazy to think he's way better than Will Barton? No. What about Kevin Herter? Uh, no. What about Mitchell Robinson on his own team? Uh, no. What about Robert Covington? No. What about Devontae Graham? Uh, yeah, I mean, he had a much better year last year, so I would say no. I don't think he, I, way better and better, you know, obviously, but some semantics. But yeah, he's better. I mean, I mean, to me, Arthur Barrett should be top eighty. Like, I like. I think to me, like, like there are a lot of guys in that eighty to hundred range. I'm just looking at like this is ridiculous. Once you get to eighty, I say okay, we're we're debating guys. Him and Karis LeVert. Karis was a very good player. I can see someone say they like him better. You know, Dylan Brooks was seventy eight. I think RJ just as good, if not better. I think his numbers were better. Dylan Brooks is an excellent defender, tough player. I love Dylan Brooks. You know, he's one of my favorite guys in the league. He's, I loved him in college. But I, my thing is, those guys got the respect they deserve. <laughs> it's not like I have a beef. Yeah. Oh, another guy, and Joe the, Harris. The last thing. The the last Nick grievance I have, not to cut you off, is, is the Julius Randle was way too low. Forty two. He was all second team All NBA. All NBA. If you're an All NBA guy, you're in theory you're a top fifteen player in the league for that season. And again, look, this is in their minds, this is a projection. But to me, what you're saying is you're projecting that he is going to have a massive production. Production decline. decline because if he does what the exact same thing he did last year, he should be in the top twenty. No lower I, I than mean, top twenty five. I don't, I don't know 30. what planet does people think that Pascal Siakam is better than Julius Randle. At the Draymond Green thing to me, I'm gonna keep going back. I know, to I know, I know. You go to that. I and mean, the only thing is intangible like is the defense. There's no, there, there. I'm not taking it. No team would take a guy that averaged nine points a game over a guy that 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 put up. MVP number. It, yeah, it, I, also, it, I also want I also want considerable smoke with anyone who thinks that Julius Randle is worse than Russell Westbrook and CJ McCollum. The Westbrook thing. I will, I will, I will take look, smoke with them all day. You know every me. Day with that. You know me. I'm not the biggest Westbrook fan. You know, I've I've been on record in saying I think the whole, the, the triple double numbers are, are are a little empty at this point. Um, but we're not going to get into all that. But with that being said. They're, unlike Draymond, for example, or like Miles Turner being as high as he is. I mean, to be fair, those guys are great defensive players, but at least with Westbrook, I can make a statistical argument. I can't make a statistical argument with McCollum either. He's another guy that falls in that category. With Westbrook, at least I can say, look, he averaged triple double. I don't know where I don't know where to put him statistically. <laughs> you know, you can make the case he's the top thirty guy because no one else is averaging a triple double. I'll be honest, with man. Like, if if, if, if if the guy who averaged a triple double can only be ranked 29th, that says a lot about how yeah. maybe un- unimpactful that triple double is. Yeah. I, don't, I don't hear a lot of people saying he should be ranked much higher. No. So, like, we talk about what's the impact of a triple double. I think that says a lot right there. Oscar Roberts was averaging triple doubles and winning MVPs. Like, you know, there's a 29th best player averaging triple double. So, I, I, so to say, I say that to say I'm not. And I agree. I think that's why I said I want smoke. I'm not saying that I like it's a I could I, I will argue with someone about it, 
But right, right. The McCollum thing, McCollum is way too high on this list, man. Oh, I man. like McCollum. McCollum, think- McCollum was thirty. Then why is Damian Lillard complaining? Like, yeah, why is he right. want? Why does he have any problem? Why is he leaving? He's playing with another top thirty player. That should be more than and Robert Covington is the top one hundred. You know, Nurk is a top one hundred. He got he, his whole starting line is top one hundred. Yeah. So I don't know what what the beat, but then the same people who are making these lists will then go and talk about how Damian Lillard has no help. So of course he has to leave Portland. Like this stuff doesn't make any sense. But then Julius Randle could do with guys that, they, that clearly they think are, are terrible. They say, "Oh no, he's he's a forty, still a forty second best player." Russell Westbrook was playing with a guy who was eleven, and they still they still were the eighth team in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, come, like some of this stuff don't doesn't make sense. Like, it, it clearly doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. There's no rhyme or reason to it. But again, they know there's no rhyme or reason to it. It guys to talk about it, so it did its job in that regard. But I do want to uh, move on to the show and let's talk about Ben Simmons, Kendall, because again, it's a hot mess down there in Philly. You know, I love Philadelphia, and they don't they don't shy away from the mess and talking about it and immersing themselves in it. In some ways, they're like Bane. They were they were born in it and molded by it, uh, and that's what we've seen. So Ben Simmons, according to multiple reports, has told the Philadelphia 76ers that he does not plan to return for training camp when the team uh, suits up training camp just in a couple of days. And yeah, he's ready to sit out the, the season until he is traded. Tensions between the two camps began shortly after team the team's Game 7 loss to Atlanta in the Eastern Conference semifinals when Coach Doc Rivers declined to say whether Simmons could win a title uh, leading the 76ers. Those comments were followed by leaked reports about Ben's lack of uh, work ethic, um, a rift between Simmons and Embiid. Now, both B, Embiid and Rivers have tried their best to downplay any issues. And B went on Twitter saying that this beef was, you know, did not exist. And Rivers was on first take this week to say that his comments were misinterpreted and uh, people ran with narratives and that he does believe that the Sixers can win a title with Ben Simmons and he hopes that Ben Simmons comes back. In the meantime, nothing seems to have changed on Simmons' part. So this has been a very hot button topic for a lot of people, a lot of different takes going a million different ways with how the Simmons situation has gone down. Kind of, what is your kind of read of how everything sits right now? Man, the Simmons thing, it's so funny because, like, we could have talked about this Simmons, and we have talked about this Simmons thing before. Yeah, we talked about it when Embiid had those comments. It's offseason. Those tweets, yeah. But, like, we, like, this is, we we could have the same conversation that we had, you know, when we talked about it before. We could have had the same conversation a month prior. Like, Nothing's really changed. Simmons has been pretty steadfast for the last month or two. That, yeah, I, I, I want, I want out. You know, it, it hasn't been as official as it is now at this point, where Doc Rivers on TV admitting, yeah, he told us he wants out. But like this, but but this isn't a secret that this is where this was going. We knew that Philly was actively considering trade offers. We knew that Simmons at this point was kind of done in Philadelphia. And now it's not. It went from kind of done to yes, one hundred percent. He's not playing again. Um, and it's 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 a situation now that as we creep towards the the regular season, we have to ask the question, you know, where does this end up, and how how soon do we get to the ultimate conclusion that he is not a, a sixer and that he's going to be playing for another team? Uh, you know, by my by my uh, count. We're less than a week away from training camp starting and media days, NBA media days on Monday, uh, depending on the team. And 
Simmons is going to report, I would assume. Um, he's not going to report. That's going to be a cloud over media day for the six for the Sixers that your second best player uh, isn't there and is holding out. Um, and it's going to be a cloud for them all training camp and all preseason. And I personally do not believe we will get to actual regular season games that Ben Simmons is holding. I don't think he will be on the team by then. That's my guess, only because I never really seen it. I mean, the Harden thing was pretty bad last year. That was almost that was pretty much the first time we had seen that really done. Even then, he was playing in the game. We didn't know if he would play, and he, he yeah, was playing. Yeah, I, I think playing, we, we definitely want to put in, like, quotation marks. Yeah, exactly. That, that's <laughs> he, one way of, yeah. He's uh, barely getting cardio in those games he did play. <laughs> uh, yeah, wearing... Uh, wearing three wearing shirts in it. Three, yeah, yeah. <laughs> prosthetics in the warm-up line. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, I mean, oh, that, was, that was a crazy situation we saw last year, but... Even then, he played. So we've never really seen. Obviously, we see in the NFL all the time, you know, because of the way the, the contracts are and just guys don't want to take hits for a team they don't want to play for. Um, they guys hold out all the time in the NFL. Um, in the NBA, it's very rarely done, and so this is a, this would be unprecedented. So I I tend to believe that the Sixers will acquiesce on on the trade request, and I think that they're not going to get full value for him and. Honestly, I don't know what that even means at this point. Uh, yeah, because full value, I mean, we don't, I mean, it is, there's a clear disconnect between um, everybody. I think it, literally everybody. That includes Simmons, the Sixers, the media, media basketball yeah. fans, on what equal value is for Ben Simmons. Because what we've seen play out is there are some people who just think Ben Simmons is just like an overrated clown. And there's some people who think that he's Maddie Johnson. And... The Sixers seem to lean more on the fact that he's magic, and that therefore that that they should they should net this crazy package for him. Um, and other teams seem to think that he's I don't want to say you know the clown part a lot like in terms of how the fans or some of the fans are talking about him, but there are teams that clearly think that like he's either they don't think he's that worth that much or they think that that Ben has him in a chokehold and they have to get rid of him so they're not going to just give them their best package. It's right. one or the other. They, 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 that he's, they can get him for what, for they, his value for a price right, for a that, price that they're willing to give up. They, they don't, right. they don't feel like they're going to be put. They're going to have to overpay. To overpay in an uncomfortable situation, right? Yeah, and because of, and a lot, a lot of that is because of the playoff performance, um, you know, and that they can, and some of these teams, I, we've talked about it before. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that. I, that those teams that aren't normally in the playoffs or are small market teams that right now are, you know, Minnesota, who we'll talk about, and, you know, uh, uh, Sacramento, and those types of franchises are going to be more willing to make a move for them because they're not really worried about how we look in the playoffs because they've never been in the playoffs. They haven't right. been in the playoffs yeah. in a decade or five years or whatnot. So, but yes, those types of teams are going to be, aren't, are going to value him closely to the guy that the Sixers value him as those contenders are going to be the teams that are going to be a little bit more wary of giving up a bunch to get this guy, knowing that every time he's played in the playoffs, he's fallen up short and he hasn't gotten, he hasn't progressed on any level as a playoff player. And in fact, he's regressed as a playoff player. And so I think that's where you find his value at right now as an asset. Um, And I think that they're going to have to settle on not getting what, 
the normal package you would assume for a guy like Ben Simmons is, they're not going to get a star player back. They're not going to get James Harden, which is what they were talking about last year, and they're not going to get, I don't think, Damian Lillard or a Bradley Beal because that's the thing is that, in theory, is Simmons a good package for Lillard and Beal? Fine. Yeah, it's a fine package. It's not probably not full value for those guys, but it's close. You're getting another all-star level guy. But the problem with that is that when those guys become available, there will be other teams that will be in the mix to try and get those guys. And those other teams will likely have offers that are better than Ben Simmons. Unless Philly is willing to do something they weren't willing to do last year, which is give up the entire farm to get that guy. Yeah, well, you um, Max, um, you know, uh, Maxie and Thibault. And Thibault and Jane Springer. And, and, right, yeah. You know, and it may, now maybe we have a conversation, but that's that's a conversation they weren't willing to have last year. Um, what do you right make now, of, what do you make, wh- why do you think Doc Rivers did what he did? Going first take and saying, I didn't, I think. I mean, I think he looked crazy, but I'll yeah, get into yeah, that. He flat so, out, you know, so you agree with that? He looked crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, he, he flat out made up. And, and, and lied basically about what happened, even though it was on. Tape. Yeah, he, yeah, he was like, "Oh, like I, what I was, I was, I, I, I was trying to say that I wasn't answering that kind of question." But like, yeah. it's not at all true. Like, the, I literally went back and watched it. He said, yeah, "I read the, I read the quote." <laughs> yeah, you read the quote. I can't answer that. I can't, I can't answer that. As in, in, in more of a manner, and tone matters, obviously, when you're, <laughs> when you're listening to these things. But like, he was like. And look, man, I, I can't answer that. I don't know. Yeah. On he first didn't say take, I don't know, but it, it sounds like an I don't know. On first take, when he was brought about the fact that he said this, um, he interjected saying, that's not what I said, actually. This is when narratives and this is what makes our jobs hard. I actually said when the guys asked, I'm not answering that stuff right now. I don't even know how to answer that. So what I was talking about was not answering the question. It had nothing to do with Ben. Um but again, the the quote is is totally different. Like I'm trying to find the quote where it is, but like he literally said the exact thing. He was just saying, "I don't." He's like, "I can't answer that." Oh, here it is. What Ben? And it's funny because whoever wrote the article actually seemed like who wrote this? Oh, this is ESPN Wire. Whoever wrote this definitely was salty because they they said <laughs> what Rivers actually said after the Game Seven speech was exactly how they wrote it. Was quote, uh, "I don't know, the, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now." You know, so I don't know the answer to that. He's literally saying I don't know the answer to that question. And, and to me, he win. looks more ridiculous saying saying that than if he would have just said, if he would have just stuck by his comments and said, and, and said, look, yeah, I said I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know, if, I don't know about any of these guys. None of these guys have won a championship. Joel Embiid hasn't won a championship. Ben Simmons hasn't won a championship. We'll find out as their careers go forward if those guys are championship players, but. In that moment, and in this moment right now, we don't know. I, you know, I, mean, and I think the problem with that, though, I think the problem with that, he's got to coach those other guys, and now he's got to come back to the locker room and say, "Wait, you don't think none of us?" Again, you don't frame it like I don't think you can do it. You frame it as in, we physically do not, we can't predict the future. We don't so have don't, championship players. You don't we have, have to, a ring. We have to, we have and that's to win a fact. one, right? You know, and that that's that's motivation. These guys want to prove blah 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 blah. But like now, you're not singling out Simmons as a losing player. Now. You're 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 making it a situation where it's a fact. It's not a it's not an opinion that I don't think you're a champion. It's a fact that you don't have a ring, and we, I don't know. And so, the, but the, the fact now he wants to do this thing where he's I know you guys are lying. 
And he said, play the clip. And I'm like, play the clip. I watched the clip. <laughs> That's how he said, he said it. I don't know the answer to that right now. Yeah. The question was simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a very – yeah, my thing is that, like, he threw Simmons on the – he threw Simmons under the bus. He, he, he left him out to dry. He very easily, at the time, could have said, yes, Simmons is a championship player. And with no with no with with complete conviction, with no hesitation, and and he didn't have that. So to my if I'm Simmons, I don't care what you said. That that you didn't give me the answer that I would have wanted as a player, uh, with under full support. My thing so, is so that's why I asked why. Question, why, why, why do you think they're walking? Why why are they walking? Right. That's why that's why I asked the question. Why why did he do this thing? Because to me, yeah, they're in a position where, I mean. I think the Sixers are. I think the Sixers badly outplayed their hand. I think they oh, thought that they were going to get a Morris great. Really I think they. I think they thought they were going to get a great package. The packages that that are out there in their eyes stink. I don't know what they are, so I can't say for sure if they do or do not. But to me, it's clear they think those packages stink, and they think their best option right now, as crazy as it is, is to literally go on a national press tour to just walk back everything they've been saying about Ben all summer to get him to come back because they don't think they don't want to take what's gonna, what they're going to have to take to get rid of him because, and it's right. Woj says something very interesting. Cause you know, Woj writes these articles and he puts these tweets up. But sometimes it's very important to actually hear his interviews or hear what he yeah. says. He yeah. says something very interesting. And it's something that was very important. He's like, you guys said, remember, this is not the normal team that's trading an all-star player. Usually when you see teams that are trading all-star players, your team that's, trading an all-star player with the understanding that you're going immediately into rebuild once that guy is gone. Like, like you're not you're not trying to also still contend for a title. And Philly, that's the exact opposite. In Philly, yeah. they're trading an all-star player with the expectation that they'll come back and still be a conti- title contender. Hell, they're under the impression that maybe they can get better after trading Ben Simmons. So I think what has happened clearly to me is they realized – they're not going to get better when they trade Ben Simmons. Whatever, I, again, it will, they will not. Again, I don't know because this is a very weird thing. We're not even hearing who's being floated out there. Like, this is a very yeah. weird. Even A mentioned some guys. Portland internally talks about McCollum and Covington for Lillard, which I, we, we, for, for Simmons, which I've mentioned kind of has to be the move. I, well, look, I mentioned the Sacramento one as well. I think the Sacramento one is kind of the move that Philly has to make, but. The only, problem with the, the only problem with the McCollum thing, I think, for Philly is, I mean, they, I mean, McCollum is not a point guard, so who's playing point? I mean, they like Maxi. Um, Maxi showed a lot of good stuff in the playoffs. Maxi, Maxi is a re- is a really good young scorer, but we, we, you want him to run run that team? Do I sim? I mean, that's where we get in this. It's it's like Simmons is the most weird player because we could talk about all his deficiencies, but at the end of the day. If you get rid of him, you're staring down the barrel. All right, Maxie's the guy orchestrating the offense against the Brooklyn Nets in the seven-game series. Do you feel comfortable with that? And I think me and you both sit here and we kind of pause like, I mean, <laughs> that, and that's the conundrum yeah. they're in, you know? And that and Ben is such a unique player. They were, they were very they, – they were not nearly as, as aggressive as they should have been in the point guard market in the offseason. You're like right about that. Banging down Dennis Schroeder's door. They should have, yeah, they should have absolutely signed Dennis Schroeder. Kevin Walker, all these yeah, guys that definitely. like were available. They should have tried to get them. And now these guys are in other places. Schroeder's a backup in Boston. Like, 
he <laughs> he would have been a fine starter for them. He wouldn't have been great. They could have got Ricky Rubio. Like there, you guys were out there. Right. 100%. And now again, now we're talking about Tyrese Maxey, and who else? Whoever else is on the team? Raul Neto, whoever else is on the team? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, I Neto's like, not on the team. I don't think. But yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> he's on Washington. The other team with yeah. red. So yeah, I I mean they they, I and I think the McCollum thing is something you have to consider. I mean, obviously local played at Lehigh from Ohio, um, big time score. You know, obviously the injuries in the playoffs bother you sometimes, but. Him and Covington, you know, are an approximation of what you. You're, uh, if they had those two guys instead of Simmons in that Hawk series, they probably win. So definitely, like, that's ultimately that's why you would make a move like that. And but for some reason, it's clear they don't they don't want that. That's yeah, why I keep saying they, they want they want the value that they could have gotten for Simmons last year. And my thing is, at some point, you 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 make mistakes. But um, also, at some point, like, why do they assume? And I know we're on this long time. I want to make sure we move on. But why? Like it's it's to me it's unrealistic to assume that because you're making an you're making an assessment based on what happened in the playoffs that you don't want them on your team. Why are you penalizing other teams who also watched that same playoffs? Yeah, have and, and decided and decided yesterday's price is not today's price. Everyone, every team in the league, EJ, has player personnel people that evaluate not only college players but they evaluate every player in the league on every Mm -hmm. team and when they make these deals they go back to their pro scouts and the scouting reports and the evaluations that they have on these guys and honestly you don't need to be a scout to have watched (laughs) you know game seven that's and that honestly though and that's that's and on the other side of this that's kind of why value is not the same right and that's kind of why the pro sims people get on my nerves in this too because they keep playing these mental gymnastics. They like the Sixers. They're playing these mental gymnastics of, oh, you actually don't know what Ben Simmons is capable of. I'm like, no, I think a lot of people do. Like, but people have eyes. Like, his deficiencies were not hard to decipher. Like, to me, it's one of those things where, you know, our dad does this often. Where, you like, you know, our mom, she's not like a super, super sports fan, but she follows sports because we all follow sports. And it's one of those things where my mom could decipher some guy's deficiency then it shouldn't be really a debate about what his problems are. Like, my yeah. mom could watch this game and be like, this guy Ben don't want to shoot. He, yeah, why is he taking over shots? That's a problem. My mom could see that. Guess what, people? It's a real issue. It's not some made-up thing of, oh, you guys are, are blowing this out of proportion. Like, he he has a problem that, that, that hurts his team in time yes, for the game. Ultimately, like you said, when you have these people that say talk about Simmons' actual value and how he's actually a top 20 player or a top 30 player in the league and whatnot. We're not just talking about the regular season. Like, the regular season, right? yes, 100%. He's still a top 30 player in the league, one of the best defense players, one of the best point guards in the league. But for these teams that are trying to win championships, they have to go off of also, he has now a, a large sample size right. of playoff reps. Like, Julius Randle does not have a large sample size. He no. has, what, five, six games? Five games. Yeah. Five games. Didn't, it wasn't a great They were all terrible. I mean, yeah, they were 100. all terrible. But, all terrible. But, you know, it's like, oh, maybe it was a fluke. With Simmons, now we have, I think, four full years of playoff basketball with this guy where multiple, multiple series where, you know, nine times out of ten, he looked terrible. So, yeah, and, and it, it was his inability to shoot that yes, cost his the, team the, factor, the series. Yes, that was the factor every single time that caused him to struggle. And he hasn't been able to figure that out. So if you're a team 
What makes you think we he's gonna do any better? Right, right. It's, so yes, that's, that's, that's it's like why Bill, Simmons' like value is you are what you are. Isn't you know a bunch of first round picks and the top prospects like Golden State's not giving up Wiseman and Kuminga for Ben Simmons because they know in the playoffs he may look closer to the guy we saw in that Hulk series. So I think sometimes people uh, who love this sport and shout out to them because I think that people having this discourse they all we all love basketball so it's fun we having discussion. But I think sometimes for those folks who are super, super pro Simmons and think that Philly shouldn't even be trading him or if they do, he, they should give him the world. I think they sometimes they confuse unique with excellence. And I think we're kind of we got to have that serious discussion of excellence and uniqueness when it comes to Ben Simmons. He's an extremely unique player. And he's very, very good. But there are clearly aspects of this game that, to me, stop him from reaching excellence. And a lot of times when we when we have this argument with him, we go down to, well, look at how unique he is. It's like, I understand he's unique, but is he functionally good when I need him to be? And the answer is no. It doesn't. Who cares that he's you? I mean, to me, like Dallas has moved past that with Porzingis. Like they understand. Yes. Very unique player. But be- clear deficiencies that are hurting our team and therefore make him overrated at this point in time. Unless he can find a way to get more healthy and find a way to be more of an impactful player besides taking jump shots. And I think there, Ben Simmons is, is overall a better, more impactful player than KP. But I think that for the, 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 the some of the Philly fans that still love Ben, I think some of the people in the media who still think that Ben is a, a super special player and a superstar player, I think some of them are, are, are confusing uniqueness with excellence. He's a extremely unique player. There's no one. There's I think no one in the NBA like him. But it does again. That doesn't necessarily mean excellent. And I think that's so where you agree? some of this lies. And I've been like, someone who's been pro Ben Simmons for a lot of his career. Like this is right. not. Like, I I've told I mean, you I love him coming out of the draft. I was right. both like you know. Yeah, we've should, both been very right. defensive of Ben Simmons throughout his career. Yeah. So this is do not you, like two guys yeah, who hated Ben Simmons' entire career. This... Do, you, do you agree that this ends up with Simmons being traded before the, the, the start of the season or does this leak into the season? I think he probably gets traded. But I, 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 after seeing Doc Rivers go on national TV, cop and please, I don't know. Like, like before that, before that interview, I would have said definitely. He's definitely getting traded. But, I mean, that to me... That was a level of desperation I just didn't expect to see from Philly. They clearly do not like whatever is out there in terms of deals. And right, if it's, look, if it's that forget. bad, I mean, how? What? There's nothing that's happening that's going to make those deals any better. Let's not so, forget, he said, what was reported by I believe it was Jason Dumas, uh-huh. that not only did Rich, not only did Rich Paul want Ben Simmons out of Philly, we also wanted Tyrese Maxey out of Philly. Yeah, and we just talked about he was he was the other option. He was the backup. Who that would now be the starter, um, and they talked about how he would be included in any Simmons deals more than likely. Um, if that's the case, then one at that point now you are looking for a better, a bigger package. You're not looking for a CJ McCollum type guy. You're looking for, you know, a Damian Lillard or a Bradley Beal type guy. But two, that would also, if you're Daryl Morey and you're you're Doc Rivers, say it makes you realize, and if you're Elton Brand, we have to, we have to slow down because. You know, Rich Paul is a powerful guy. 
And yes, if he makes the if if Dave if Dave if he's put his foot down and said no, Maxie's not playing there either, which it hasn't gone that far publicly as far as we know, then that is that is a a, a red flag. That is that, a yeah. sound the alarm type of situation. I'm sure this that, is. I think if I'm not mistaken, Dumas at a certain point said that you know that they kind of walked back that stance uh, in this situation. Um, that, that that was indeed a stance at some point, and I think maybe days later or a day later, he said they've kind of walked back that stance, you know, because they he said that I mean he said Max was being pulled from like local Philly events. He was supposed to go. It was crazy. Um, yeah, and apparently that had been walked back. I think because maybe you know the jig was up. Like you know Philly told Dumas, hey man, this is what's happening, and you know Rich Paul got a lot of hate from Philly people for a day, uh, and then that all of a sudden seemed to kind of cool off i don't know now that doesn't mean that this still isn't his stance but you know maybe he's not trying to tell gaffer that much but yeah no it's a it's a man this this ben simmons thing again it is messy and uh who know i mean who knows how this is gonna end up shaking out but i know that much of the basketball world is still paying close attention to it i want to move on to another mess situation it involves um the former president of basketball operations for the minnesota timberwolves uh the team announced it was parting ways with president gerson rosas uh, Sashin Gupta, the team's vice president of basketball operations, will not be taking over on an interim basis. Roses was hired from Houston in May of 2019. The firing appears to be centered on two fronts. Uh, Roses apparently apparently had some kind of falling out with Gupta. Um, Gupta was banned from the facility, which is just crazy to me that the vice president of basketball operations was barred from actually showing up to his place of work. That's how bad things had gotten at a certain point in that relationship. Speaking of relationships, the second part, which is even more salacious, comes uh, from the fact that it came to light to the team and to the public that Rosas was having a consensual relationship with a team employee. Somebody identified this woman as a like personal assistant. <clears throat> um, sources say that sources tell ESPN the team did not believe the relationship violated team policies, but um, of course, obviously this that would leave a, a pretty big black eye and it's kind of embarrassing for the organization considering both Rosas and the, the other party in the relationship are married and he was not very shy about flaunting this uh, central relationship in public. So when the the news of Rosas' firing came down, we saw, you know, shocked by a lot of people. A lot of people within the organization tell sources around the league that they didn't know this was happening. Rosas was running meetings that morning, and then all of a sudden he was fired. Um, there also was word that A-Rod and the new owners were kind of had their eye on Rosas and that they had been evaluating his work and that they were moving towards firing him eventually anyway. And that, um, they, to me, it made it clear that, that these issues with Gupta and this um, other uh, employee probably maybe sped up the, the, the you know the train there. Uh, Glenn Taylor says the decision was his. He's of course the owner that will not be uh, owning the team much longer but he says that he decided he made the final call to fire Roses and this is where now where we stand Kendall. So obviously a lot of mess going on with Roses in his personal life and um, in that situation for the Timberwolves as an as a, as a organization. Where do you think this leaves this team? Because I think that you know, they were one of the teams that were very much talked about in this Ben Simmons situation. And, you know, you would assume the person leading those negotiations would be Rosas. 
Especially since now we know Gupta was not allowed in the building. So now we know it definitely would have been Rosas. Um, but also there's a team that, there's, you know, there are Timberwolves fans that have a lot of optimism. You know, they've drafted really well in recent years. Um, I'm really excited to see what uh, McDaniels does. Um, they drafted Balmero too, right? He's coming over this year. Yeah, he is coming over. Yeah, so Balmero. Who had, signed him like three days ago. Yeah, right. Rosas just signed their rookie this, to come over to America again. This is all crazy. Um but Landro Balmaro, who's a first-round pick last year, played overseas. He's coming to America. He's joined the team. And there's some excitement, that hope that with you know better help and, and more growth from the likes of an Anthony Edwards combined with Cat and, and D'Lo, that maybe this is a you know a, a resurgence happening in Minnesota. Where do you think this leads this organization now? Um, It's tough because, I mean, initially when this came out, I assumed that this was a basketball motivated decision a basketball related decision and so that would have put a monkey wrench in a lot of different things you know and pertaining to the Simmons negotiations and uh just their entire offseason that it would have been very strange to, to move on from the head of your basketball operations a week before training camp um now that we know that it wasn't completely a basketball it seems like not even at, on, on any level wasn't a basketball related decision um i don't think it changes much you know initially i didn't think that sachin gupta would be still a part of the organization because he came with rosas to minnesota mm-hmm. um they they both started in in, in houston with daryl Morey. um so i assumed that they were linked in that if they were firing Rosas, then that means that they were going in a different direction that wasn't analytically based. It wasn't an analytically driven front office. Um, and so, and obviously Sachin Gupta is an analytics, uh, an analytics uh, expert. So it, it didn't seem like that was the direction they were going. So initially I thought, oh, this is, I guess the T-Wolves are a completely different team now. Um now that we know that that's not the case, now Gupta is actually being promoted. I, they'll probably be ran in a similar way. Uh, obviously, from a management standpoint, they'll they'll be ran differently in an organizational structure. But just from a you know from an outside perspective, you know it's a similar mindset that I'm sure the team will have internally. Uh, and in terms of the nego- the negotiations with Simmons, obviously Maury and Rosas had a relationship. You know, having worked together in Houston, um, but so does so did Gupta. You know, so we'll see. I, I don't think that I don't. I actually don't think it will change as much as you would as I would have thought when this when the news first broke. Yeah, I think that we all were surprised when it happened. Um, you know, it seemed like the fans were uh, excited about the, the direction Rosas was taking them. It was really at the bad first year under Ryan Saunders as the head coach and, and and things like that. But it seems like they're moving in a better direction. And, you know, whenever you fire a coach, a, a general manager, rather, or, or, or a team executive who runs basketball operations this late in the game heading to training camp, it's just, to me, it's always usually idiotic. I mean, it's just how do you let a guy run your draft, run your coaching searches, run your uh, free agent strategy, make trades, and then, before the season starts to decide, this was not the right guy to be doing any of that stuff, and we're going to fire him now. That, that to me, is uh, is usually not the way you want to do business. And me and you talked about how maybe there was an opportunity where maybe a, a trade was presented to him, 
and he was willing to pull the trigger, maybe, you know, Taylor had to pull the plug before he did something dumb. I, I don't know. Again, for some of the stuff he's done recent uh, over the last year, you, he's made some decent moves, so that would have been surprising. So when you hear that there's this other salacious stuff that went around, that seems to make more sense as to why you, maybe you got to get rid of him right now once that becomes public. Um, I don't like it all. You know, again, you, you don't want your vice president in the building. I don't even know how that's even allowed. How do you allow, like, like, how are you allowed to keep your vice president from working in your own building? Like, why wouldn't you just fire him? I, like, that, that's something weird about even that situation. There's a lot. Well, you that, want to, oh. Yeah, there's a lot. To, there mean, there's a lot that needs to still be investigated with, you know, what was going on with Rosas. It's very weird because it almost feels like uh, very much like kind of a Dr. Jekyll Hyde kind of personality this guy had because i mean a lot of local media members who when they heard rosa's firing were very surprised they were like this guy seems like a really good man and he's treated us well and he's very personable and and i I mean i can't believe that this is the same guy when i saw like the initial testimonials before (laughs) before the the bigger news came out about what was behind the was firing you know sometimes you see that stuff and you wonder okay well is there maybe a smear campaign going on you don't you don't really know but I mean, it, I mean, you know, it's kind of easy to prove whether or not a lot of this stuff is true. So it's like, if it's true, then it is fireable. So yeah, T Wolves are in a weird spot. You know, Cat didn't know. That seems to be that seems to me to be like a problem. Is that why was if there was movements from A Rod in his camp, if Glenn Taylor clearly had enough with this guy, if there was these bad relationships within the front office, why were so many in the organization so? taken aback by his firing like that well, doesn't make thing. sense to, that's the that's the disconnect i don't get that so, he was this monster but also was, nobody actually, knew and then well, they didn't think that, he'd be fired yesterday that that's what made because i mean at first i thought this was crazy i thought oh man classic timberwolves this is chaotic organization say cat doesn't even know he's all upset on twitter but then again when you find out what happened i have no questions i have no questions i have no i understand completely how this happened I understand why this happened, and it's it, it's you know it's just one of those things, man. I, I don't really know how to don't really know what to say. I mean, because it's hard to, to well from what we know, the ownership group. I'm assuming this means a Rod, Mark Lohr. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that Glenn Taylor is a part of that in terms of finding out, but apparently they found out like three days, and that's when this was put into motion or I don't know about three days ago, but they found out recently they were away. They were, they were um, informed very recently in the last couple of days of this. And that's when this, that's when he got the, he got, he got the news that he was fired. Um, if that's the case, then what are you going to do? I mean, I don't think a Rod's first call is to, to Carl T towns to tell him what happened with Rosas. Um, and you may say oh, that's got to be his first call, but this—I don't know legally. There's certain, maybe certain things that they don't even want to. But they—but they knew Homeboy was banned from the apart from the from the from the building for weeks. Gupta, yeah. Which is saying I mean, he's yes, also a part of this. That's not. A, I don't think that's a part of the firing. I think that's a part of just the chaotic culture that he had built. And that's, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like someone said, there are a lot of chaotic front offices in the league that where guys don't get fired week before the season. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, we just had an article about David Griffin that came out 
Yes, we did. The Pelicans are going to fire him tomorrow. They certainly not a great workplace culture from what was at least according to the article. Doesn't it wasn't painted that way? But they're not going to fire him. So from every everything else that we had heard was just yeah, just normal bad workplace culture stuff. Um. Some of some a little more extreme, like you said about the Gupta thing, but still, I wouldn't go as far as say they were fireable until we got to the stuff at the Minnesota United game allegedly. So, um, that that is where this situation fell apart. But again, I can't. I want. I, you know, I wanted to blame Glenn Taylor and I wanted to blame A Rod and Mark Lore for this mess, but I can't. It's all in Rosa. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that, you know. And apparently there were also other teams were growing uh, frustrated with his negotiation tactics. Um, and again, this is all the dirt that's going to come out when, when a guy, guy out of his fit. job. It, yeah. The way he went out of his job, like, yeah, I mean, again, we're, we're, I'm sure there were teams that are upset with Danny Ainge's negotiation tactics. They're upset with, you know, I don't know, Daryl Morey's negotiation tactics, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it is. Yeah, that is true. I mean, we heard they were trying to get homeboy from the Lakers out of there, Palenka. I mean, they were Palenka. I mean, they were just <laughs> they were trying to get him it, magic, it, magic man. He had that. He had that. He had that smear campaign just in just clockwork. <laughs> I mean, they just had just bar after bar after bar about Palenka. Once that once that mechanism got going, it was you know we don't mess with Palenka on any level. Uh, it, it it went downhill really fast for him, but you know when you got LeBron James on your team, it, it helps save a lot of different things, especially when you add AD to that picture. And we saw um, with David Griffin, who you mentioned, also uh, had a very um, you know bad article have come out with him on the same day about his inability to cultivate a relationship with Zion Williamson and the dysfunction in his front office. We see, man, and like to shout out to the LeBron fans or the people who uh, who 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 stand the king. I mean, this guy he makes a lot of people look a lot better and smarter than they really are. The guy is a special. Because um, the David Griffin, we don't talk about dysfunctional organizations. I mean, but look, the tweets are there, man. From 2019, I immediately thought that David Griffin was getting just ridiculous praise for really no reason. And there was very little he had proven, even in his first trade with the, the Anthony Davis trade, that showed me that they were definitely headed in the right direction in New Orleans. And, and we've just seen, you know, coaches being fired, uh, just uh, a lack of, of cohesion between the coaching staff and the front office. Obviously, the uninspired play we've seen on the court for this team is evident. And it's a... Uh, Sad situation for some of these small market teams. We kind of talked about it a little bit off air about just kind of what you know. Can these teams seems really even survive if if this is going to be the kind of front offices they're going to be putting together? You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing about the NBA is that we talk we talk about the lack of uh, the lack of parity between the big market teams and the small market teams, and you know a lot of it now. The way you make up for that is having the best front office in the league, or having, uh, you know, the best. And and look, even then, sometimes you may not win a championship, as we saw with Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City has an excellent front office with Sam Presti. Um, they 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 shell out GMs that come out of OKC year in and year out. It feels like, and 
they haven't won a championship. They don't have a championship to show for it. They're a small market team, but they've gotten there. They've gotten close, and they they've had to re- hit the reset button. So there's only there's still sometimes only so much you can do, but that's the, that's the key. That's the, that's where it starts for those franchises. And as uh, we saw real quick, as we saw with a yeah. team like the Lakers, where they can have a chaotic front office that you talk about, you know, Rob Polinka not liked by a lot of people. Some people say he's kind of, you know, it a little <laughs> a little chaotic, a little frenetic, you know, in that front office. They got they got a ring to show for it. I don't think Rob Polinka is a better GM than Sam Presti. I don't think most people would say that, but one's got a ring, one doesn't. You know, one so has LeBron and one does it too. That's yeah, thing. one has LA. Yeah, when I yeah, when I, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Um, let's uh let, let's let's stay with the NBA and let's talk about how you know the NBA season of course is right around the corner and two teams expected with big expectations are facing new concerns about potential players regarding their vaccination status. So in New York City and San Francisco, local laws do not allow unvaccinated people at entertainment venues. That would mean players suiting up at MSG, Barclays, and the Chase Center would need to be vaccinated in order to take the floor, according to you know, the local laws. And as we sit right now, we're receiving word via different reports that two key players from some of these teams are not vaccinated. Andrew Wiggins of the, the Warriors is not vaccinated. That is causing concerns um, out there for uh, Golden State. He was very anti-vax the last time he spoke about it publicly in March. Um, and also Fox Sports is reporting that Kyrie Irving is also yet to be vaccinated at this point in time. You know, Sean Marks actually held a, a availability the other day where he actually was asked about, you know, what's the situation with your players and, and unvaxxed statuses. And I honestly, I think that the media probably knew Kyrie was unvaxxed and it probably was off the records. That's why they asked him to beat him on the record about vaccination statuses. Marks said, quote, Regarding if they could play, I cannot comment on who could play and so forth. There would obviously be a couple people missing from that picture. I won't get into who it is, but we feel confident in the following several days before camp. Everybody would be allowed to participate and so forth. Earlier in the news conference, uh, Mark said, I think we all understand what's at stake. We've had very candid conversations. We don't see whether it's a citywide mandate or the league mandate to follow being any sort of hindrance to us being able to put out a team. You know, we, we understand, obviously, that they want to put out 18, but for the Warriors and for the Nets, it's about putting out the best team possible for the Nets, especially to try to win an NBA championship for the Warriors to get back to championship contention. So, uh, Kendall, what do you kind of make of this new wrinkle in the NBA season regarding some of these teams, especially, again, teams in New York and in San Francisco, uh, regarding the vaccine statuses? We see Kyrie Irving, obviously, that's a big deal. And Andrew Wiggins is a key piece for the uh, Warriors as well. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we're seeing calls right now for people to say that the Warriors should trade Andrew Wiggins immediately. Um, I don't know what team would what, what teams are really going to want Andrew Wiggins. Under, I mean, I don't think Andrew Wiggins' trade value is super high, regardless. Um, <laughs> I agree with that. To be honest about that, obviously his contract isn't great. Uh, but beyond, but beyond the contract. Now you're gonna have this cloud hanging over him as well. Uh, so I don't, I don't. I mean, you're honestly, you're gonna have to go to the worst contracts in the league. You're gonna have to go to, you know, Houston. And say, look, I mean, can we get John Wall? <laughs> can we get John Wall back for 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 Andrew Wiggins? You have to go to Cleveland. Say, can we get Kevin Love back for Andrew Wiggins? I mean, that's the conversation you're gonna have to have. And I mean, look. I think you can make you can sell me on Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins. 
if this is really going to be a cloud that hangs over Golden State, you might be able to sell me on it. Um, given that Love can space the floor, uh, can give them some backup big minutes off the bench, you've got Kuminga, you've got Moody, you've got some young wings that uh, can spell some of the stuff that Wiggins, or can replace some of the stuff that Wiggins uh, gave you. And you're getting Clay Thompson back, obviously. So Wiggins' yeah. offensive stuff, uh, offensive impact is not going to be as important. So that's a move that I think you can sell me on. But that, that's that's the situation with Golden State is that you have to now start thinking about that. Uh, and if you're Brooklyn, I don't know. I really don't know where to go with the Kyrie thing. Um, it's, 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 it's not ideal. Um, obviously, he's a great player, but, you know, I don't know if, if the NBA is not going to change this, this 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 rule, and if New York doesn't change their mandates, then you know I don't know. I mean, is he just going to miss forty one home games? I'm sure Kyrie, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure if he would care. Uh, uh, I think he feels like there are more important more important stuff, which you know is his prerogative. But that that's that's where Brooklyn's at right now is. You really don't know what's in Kyrie's head. That Sean Mark seems confident he's going to get it, or that everybody's going to get it. Uh, if that's the case, then, then I guess they have nothing to worry about. I mean, I mean, look, we, I don't, you know, we can go into, you know, what it means to be unvaxxed at this point in time. You know, it's like that's what's quite, that's what's that is what is interesting about this Kyrie thing. Not to cut you off, is that. He's had all this time, so this idea that yeah. oh yeah, everyone's gonna get it before the season starts. Like, why would he get it now and not have not got it two months ago? But continue. I mean, to get into the <laughs> head of why people don't get the vaccine is a scary place to get to go. So I'm not sure if that's where I want to go at this point in time. But I do feel like look, I think that we heard these kind of wild stories. They weren't even stories. They were just they were talking heads just making proclamations about things they were hearing from inside the NBA and league circles about Kyrie Irving. I'm very skeptical of anything coming out with Kyrie Irving because I think there is a lot of smearing going on when it comes to that man, and I've talked about it on this podcast often. But we've been remiss not talk about that just a couple of days ago, Stephen A. Smith said that the, the Nets were interested in Ben Simmons and had Kevin Durant not put the kibosh on any potential move that would have included Kyrie Irving, well, the Nets would have tried to make a play. Stephen A. Potentially. claims that's not what he said. Uh, what, what is he saying now? So Stephen A. In theory, what he said was that he knows for a fact that the Nets would consider making a move for Ben Simmons, but that Kevin Durant's not happening. So, but he mentioned Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he mentioned Kyrie. Yeah. So then, what's he saying? He didn't say that he never that there were no trade discussions that were that were that ever took place. There was no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't say that. I said that. I said that they were interested in yeah. a deal for Ben Simmons that would have included Kyrie Irving. I mean, that is what he said. Well, that he would. That, I guess he's saying that they would be if if right didn't have that. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that clarification means to me. I mean, to me, what you're saying is the Nets will be interested. In trading Kyrie Irving Ben Simmons, if that was a possibility, which is, but Kevin Durant didn't even want to get them to that point. Yeah, I either don't know. way, Stephen A. speaks riddles sometimes, so I'm like, I yeah, don't... I mean, clearly someone ran at, yelled at Stephen A. Probably was KD or somebody, and and he's trying to do some kind of middle ground <laughs> clarification. What was clear is that Brooklyn saw 
Ben Simmons was available. They, for whatever and reason, looked at Kyrie and said, maybe we can make something happen. And then Kevin Durant said, no, you're not. And that's why, and they, they according to Stephen A., why, that's, that's why there's, there hasn't been conversation between Philly and Brooklyn about a Simmons swap. And, and Nick Wright from Fox Sports has made it clear that Kyrie's people told the Nets and I guess told teams, he said Kyrie's representatives told teams uh, that he's going to retire if the Nets trade him anywhere else. Um, and that Nick Wright framed it that there are deals that the Nets uh, could consider. He said Simmons, Beal, Lillard, that they will not um, or that they, they can't because Kyrie told teams he's going to retire if he, if he asks for a trade or if he gets traded. And Kyrie responds to that on Twitter basically saying that uh, – he called Nick Wright a puppet. A puppet. Uh, which, he didn't deny it. Um, I thought it was very interesting. It's a whole interesting media conversation we could have. <laughs> right. Off it. But, but yeah. I think I think the reason, and you know, it became an interesting of, you know, I think for Nets fans, and, you know, to their chagrin, they're like, why, you know, why are we, why are these Kyrie stories coming out? Like, where are these things coming from? Like, like what is this? The scenes that could be coming out of nowhere. And it did seem to be coming out of nowhere. But when we learn this information that Kyrie Irving is unvaccinated and he's playing um, in New York, <laughs> he plays in New York City, where as of right now, regardless, unless there's some kind of religious exemption, which I don't know how San Francisco is, I know that's what they're trying to do for Wiggins. I mean, it's, I mean, New York is pretty. They don't really give. They don't get, have much leniency when it comes to religious exemptions. I know that just from working in news in New York City. So if he gets it, it's going to be. Some superstar ish. <laughs> oh, okay. You get the religious exemption to play because you're on a local team that's trying to win championship. Because to me, otherwise, like they, they, he don't got no religious standing. The way I, the way I've seen, the way New York has enforced it. I'm not, you know, saying there isn't a reason to have one, but it, there's been very little wiggle room for that. So that kind of leads to a kind of a different conversation about. Oh well, is I mean, is this why the Nets may be may have entertain the idea of not wanting Kyrie to be on their team this year. And I guess to me, part of me is like, is it premature to not at least get up to the line and see if you can actually get on the court before you would make a move to trade him. But, you know, know, we know how Kyrie is. I get the feeling that there's just a lot of stuff with him that they just deal with regularly that they're probably just growing tired of. And it's in the NBA – it's funny. I had this conversation with with our brother Henry. Uh, he's a he's a Pelicans fan. He's he he's enter- he's starting to entertain the internally in his mind the 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 concept of maybe having to trade Zion uh, because of some of the speculation that's come out of there out of New Orleans. But we had the conversation of is there value? And it goes back to like the Porzingis thing years ago when the Knicks traded him. Is there value in the the the? It's like the dichotomy of is there value in trading a guy before it gets out that he wants to trade or that you have to trade him, i.e. Simmons, Harden, uh, or letting, or is there value in putting him available on the block and letting teams really make offers? Like, you know, yeah, you know, I've always, but that's always been my strategy. Yeah. That's always been your mindset. Like the Celtics wouldn't have been able to get Kyrie. We would, we wouldn't have gotten Kyrie if Cleveland would have hastily traded him after he asked for a trade. Because, like, the Celtics weren't prepared to trade Isaiah Thomas. You know, that's something that they had to seriously think about, consider, get all their ducks in a row to trade Isaiah Thomas and a draft pick. 
when they made that move, it was a different time. Um, so when you're talking about uh, Kyrie and you're talking about trading him, you're talking about do you trade him now or do you trade him in the offseason, rather, where no, no one expects him to be on the block, uh, no one really expects him to be traded, or do you wait till that last minute where all of a sudden he can't start playing games and then teams are like, well, you have no leverage because mm-hmm. you have to trade him, <laughs> you know, and then that becomes that becomes a thing. Yeah. Or maybe Kyrie gets out in front of it like he's already done and says, I'm going to retire. <laughs> you know? Right. Now, I mean, well, well, it seems to me like, like Kyrie also may be savvy enough to, to I mean, be doing that behind closed doors. Is, right. Is, the yeah. You know, and, and, you know, whether he is or isn't seems to be a topic of conversation. But I do think that for these teams, they're going to have to really make considerations about what, what they're going to do. I think at the end of the day, that if really push comes to shove and these guys have to get the vaccine, I think they will get it. I think that includes Kyrie Irving. I they're not missing a half. Season I can't say. To, to I I I, I can't. Like you talked about the 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 mental getting into the thing. mind I, of someone. Like I can't this, right? get it. I I can't really speak for that. I, I Wiggins has said he will get it if he is forced. He's forced, right? My question is, what does that mean? Do you mean the government? Do you mean the NBA? Or is this? Or are you considering considering this being? Is this considered? Technically, yeah, this, you could play forty-one games, or at least forty or, something. You know, yeah, forty. Yeah, forty. Games. Yeah, whatever games aren't in New York City. Yeah, well, aren't aren't in New York and in San Francisco. You can play, so you're not necessarily forced to get it. But is the NBA kind of backhand, backhandedly trying to get you to, back, you know, trying to get you to get the vaccine? If you know, if eventually the NBA says you have to get it or you can't play in any games, is that when you get it, or if? Or will you retire? Or if then the government says, you know, you have to get it if you want to live in the country, blah, blah, blah. Is that when you then say, all right, now, yeah, now, or do you move? Like some, you know, that's that's my question for Andrew Wiggins. So I I don't put anything past Kyrie, which is why, again, I'm no way I'm going down that line of saying I know for a fact what Kyrie's going to do in any situation. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I won't say I know for a fact. I just feel like if I had to. Yeah. I know you yeah. don't want to even hedge the bet. You don't want to hedge the bet. I would hedge the bet that if, yeah, if I wouldn't be push came to shove, I think that they will get the shot. I think I think that Kyrie, I think he does have a, a, a level of respect for Kevin Durant. Like they clearly have a special relationship. I don't really, I don't think any of us really get it. They don't. They're not very similar. You know, like they're not. They're not similar at all. Yeah, they're but very different. Uh, they're very different people. But they, they, they have a, a great connection, clearly. And I think that there are some things he's willing to do to acquiesce to making everything right for Kevin. And I think this could be one of those things where he would do it. I think that before he didn't have to. I think he just, he didn't, he, for every reason, he doesn't want to take the vaccine. I think something like this where it's like, okay, we're trying to win a championship. And we're trying to make this Brooklyn thing all special. And, like... I mean, if you miss half the season, that's going to hurt us a great deal. And also, like, will the Nets just be will they just be okay with you just missing half the season? Like, that's going to be a question for all, any of these teams. I don't know if there are any other players on the Nets or players on the Knicks or Warriors. Julius Randle was very kind of coy about what the situation is on the Knicks. When he was asked about it, a uh, great question by, uh, by Ian Bailey during his interview on SNY. He said, quote, I'm not sure if there's going to be an issue or not. I haven't thought about it. 
everybody has their own preferences on what they should or should not do or what what's safe or not and i get it i understand it i get both sides so i mean that doesn't tell me anything i don't, I don't know what that means so i think that there's gonna be a rude awakening for all three teams i think the knicks the warriors and the well, and maybe we're getting ahead of the Warriors and Nets now because we heat it. I think the Knicks. I think the Knicks are going to be some guys. I think there's some guys are going to be like what? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, who knows? It won't be Julius Randle, but I don't know. It's going to be somebody. We're going to be like what? This guy's not vaccinated. He can't play. And and for those teams, I wonder if any moves they made in free agency or in the offseason turn of trades. Like, will will we see guys who showed up to New York and showed up to San Francisco and were not vaxxed? And you can't play any home games. That would be interesting in terms of like, was that the right move to sign some of these guys? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a situation to pay, keep paying attention to. But I want to uh, end the show with football here real quickly, Kendall. So, um, first, uh, big win by the Baltimore Ravens last week. Sunday Night Football was a classic, led uh, uh, led by Lamar Jackson. The Baltimore Ravens uh, had a dramatic comfort behind victory against the Chiefs at home. Kendall, did you learn anything from Baltimore or or from Lamar in that win? I mean the 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 the, the last play, which cost me in fantasy football this week, by the way, them going for it on fourth down. I was I was on my way to a dramatic comeback victory in fantasy football. The Chiefs could have got the ball yeah, back. It would have been a major upset too against the yes, Nightman. Against, yeah, against against uh, shout out to Josh K. Uh, his team, <laughs> the Nightman cometh, um, the multiple time champion in our league. Uh, yeah, the they beat team, me barely in our last league. year in the finals, man. And I'm still we'll get back. We'll, we'll, we'll get back. <laughs> best team in the league and uh and I was in a position to after things were looking very bleak, uh a great performance from Travis Kelsey, who was just a stud, man. I mean, just one of the best Titans of all time. Um Yeah, I had him last year. We're, we're on our way <laughs> to a dramatic come from behind victory because with but two points down and Kelsey and the Ravens defense, I could I could I couldn't. I mean, all I needed to make was two points. So the Ravens make a play, or Kelsey makes a play. Clyde fumble. Yeah, yeah. Clyde fumble on the last drive, which gave me more points. So like, you know, a lot of things could have happened that would have gave me a fancy win. But nonetheless, you know, John Harbaugh in that now iconic moment asked Lamar Jackson, "You want to go for this? Have, have they? Did we ever figure out NFL Films was had him mic'd up for that?" Cause they got seen the moment yet. Man, they yeah. gotta have. I hope they did. I don't I mean. We haven't seen it by now. Moment. The mic'd up moment of the week was uh, it was Urban Meyer and Vic Fangio talking before the game. And Urban Meyer is like, man, it's an NFL thing, man. It's like playing Alabama every week. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm like, so some people, a lot of people are comparing to the uh, the Sam Darnold, I'm seeing ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Same energy. Oh, man. Oh, um, well, yeah. And another, yeah college, another college coach for realizing that uh, this NFL thing this coaching thing isn't, isn't easy when you yeah, don't have like, all, all the best players. Nick Saban went to Alabama because uh, <laughs> like playing Alabama every week. Can't you realize you can't schedule Akron every week here. Um, uh, yeah. No, but when you're talking about Baltimore, I mean, selfishly, uh, <laughs> for my career, I, I mean, I loved the the decision for them to go for it on fourth down. You know, the numbers certainly were in that favor, uh, and you know, lo- love from, anal- from the analytic standpoint. Yeah, man, love the analytically driven uh, football decision, but um, but no, I mean it was a great win for Baltimore. I don't really think it tells me a huge story. I mean, you know, that was a real monkey on his back, Lamar. I mean, he said it publicly. They were my kryptonite. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it was great to get that win. It was great to 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 to, to get over that hump of beating Kansas City. Um, 
without Ronnie Stanley at tackle, uh, without Rashad Bateman, their 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 number one pick at receiver, to be able, and obviously without the the guys in the backfield that won't be there this season, it, you know, it was an it was an excellent win, but at the same time, to me, I actually I took more away from it from Kansas City. I think Kansas City has to be concerned about where their defense is at at this stage wow. of the season. Um, Cleveland should have beaten them. Let's be honest. They gave that game away. And yeah. in theory, this is a Kansas City team that could be 0-2. And we know what 0-2 means in the NFL. We talked about it last week. So, you know, they have to really, really reconcile some stuff defensively because they, they want to win a championship. Like, these are the game. These are the teams they're going to have to beat. Cleveland and Baltimore. And, yes, those that was a tough stretch to start the season. You know, you're placing two, facing two playoff teams for a few games of the season. But this team's trying to win the Super Bowl. You know, they can't be looking at any of these games and saying this is tough. Unless you're playing Tampa, unless you're playing right. the best teams in the league. I mean, especially you, in the teams in their conference, for sure. Yeah. yeah. These are games that you're supposed to, you're supposed to win. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's a little bit concerning because this is a Chiefs team that should be trying to go 17-0. and and they could have, they could have, they could have two losses already. They got one. They don't look like a team that's gonna that's gonna run through their, their schedule. I could be wrong, because you know they, they they this is only two games and they play two two playoff teams. But this is also a Ravens team that just lost to <laughs> L.A. or Las Vegas rather. Right. So, um, and Vegas looks good. Derek Carr is playing great, but you know, again, we have to sort of re configure where we see Kansas City in this mix right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting that you took more from Kansas City in this, despite uh, their offense still looking pretty dominant, I think, for most of this game. Turnovers, obviously, were the big factor. Uh, Mahomes had a, had a, you know, it's funny. I saw, I forgot who I was watching, but someone made the case that, you know, Mahomes said, oh, I, you know, I made a dumb play or a bad play. Oh, I think it was Scott Van Pelt, where, you know, you know, on the pick that he threw where he was clearly, you know, about to be sad. He just kind of threw it up for grabs. And then, but I think Van Pelt's point was like, look, I mean, you kind of play dumb football. Like, you do things that a lot of people shouldn't do, nobody would ever do. And that's just going to kind of be par for the course for someone like him. And you kind of have to live by the sword, die by the sword in that regard. That was kind of an interesting way to look at that play to me. I didn't really think about it that way, but I think there is some truth to that. So, so I mean, maybe there's some concern about the turnover, but you would think that the turnover will clean them up. I think that the defense thing is is concerning. I thought their game plan was bad. Uh, Chris Jones was playing on the edge, and he just looked. I mean, he looked like a high schooler trying to guard that option. I mean, I, I can't. I can't, I don't know why he's diving in when Lamar Jackson has the ball. That's just like mind-blowingly bad defense to me. And the question to me then is like, well, why is he playing on the edge? Yeah, but that 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 was that was a weird wrinkle. And, and has he been playing on the edge all year? Is this a, a move that they did? Was that move just for that game? I was I was confused by even that. I, I'm not sure. I, you know, I would have to go back and watch. Yeah, the, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I know game. he 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 looked. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he, he he yeah, he's been playing edge. This was something that they they planned to do this season. So, right. so there you have him there. Even though he's played defensive tackle most of his career, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't think that he's a great fit for playing that kind of defense against him. You know, against most teams, I mean, he's obviously we know Chris Jones is an excellent pass rusher, and maybe he would be good on the edge, but that seems like a tough, a tough job for him. And you wonder if there should have been an adjustment made mid game to try to fix that. 
But I, I, I do take some more of this for the Ravens. I think that there was a psychological hurdle that needed to be crossed. I think there were plenty of times in that game where we kind of thought, here we go, same old Ravens. You know, when Mahomes is you know, launching you know, 40-yard bombs off of his wrong foot for easy touchdowns and you know, the, the, the defense is picking off. You know, Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, made his impact felt after missing last week's game. He certainly did make an impact on that defense. Um, a lot of times I kind of felt like, okay, here we go, same old Ravens. But they showed a lot of moxie. They showed a lot of mental toughness. I think this is a team that's growing. You know, I don't know. We talk about it a lot sometimes where we, you know, we a team has a bad moment or maybe even a few bad moments on, in big spots in the playoffs and national TV. We just think, okay, that's who this team is, and that's who this player is for the rest of his, their careers. And you know, most of the time, that's not the case. Like, in all sports, you see teams that they have to lose a lot before they win a championship. You don't have a team that skips steps from being nobody to a champion, you know, unless you're the Bucks and you get a Tom Brady or something like that. And I think for the, the, the Ravens, we've seen these small baby sets. I mean, we saw uh, what they did in Cleveland last year. We saw them win, uh, I thought, a very difficult road game road playoff game against Tennessee, and, and then, you know, games where we kind of were waiting for same old Ravens. Here we go again, and every time Lamar kind of made plays to help him, and then last week, same thing. Again, I'm thinking same old Ravens where it looks like this is a team that's not ready for this kind of moment, uh, and they, they, they still toe-to-toe with a, 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 a behemoth, and they were able to trade punches and, and, and make big plays, and they were able to come out with a, a big victory. I think it did say a lot to me. I don't know if it means that that they're definitely the team to beat in the AFC or the team that Kansas City should be most concerned about. But I think that a team that Kansas City definitely now should be concerned about. Uh, I don't know if they maybe had those same concerns for this game, but I, I think that maybe they should because there's some, there's some schematic things that they had issues with. Uh, we got to figure out what's going to happen when Villanova moves back to right tackle because he was clearly much better at left tackle. Yeah. The game against the Raiders, he was a disaster. And, yeah, I mean, he had some he had some disastrous right moments in that in that other game too, but he was way better at left tackle going up against a really good player in Clark. So, I mean, can Villain Waver, you know, put that to game game together at right tackle? If he does, then I mean the Ravens gonna be a serious contender. But um but yeah, I think those are questions I have for that game. When it comes to this uh this upcoming week, I think uh, Sunday's game of the week is shaping up to be a showdown between the world champion Buccaneers and the Rams in Los Angeles. Uh, Kendall, after the Rams uh, came away with two consecutive wins, do you see them as a real challenge to Tampa Bay, not just in this game, but moving forward for this season after what you've seen from L.A.? Um, I mean, the Rams look great. and I, I Look, this game is going to be a true indicator of where this Rams team is. I mean, they've played two, played two teams that, I mean – I don't think our projected playoff teams, I, we could be wrong. Bears technically did make it last year. Uh, the Colts almost made it and, you know, could dairy make it this year. But, you know, they played two fringe fringe playoff teams, probably seven, eight win types of teams and in Chicago and Indy. So it, I think we'll, we got to slow down a little bit on where the Rams are. Um, their defense has had moments of – regression from where they were where they've been with under Brandon Staley now Staley obviously being with the Chargers um as head coach um I believe Raheem Morris now running that defense they, they've had some moments where they haven't been as strong but we'll, we'll we'll this is a real test you know seeing seeing this team against 
this Tampa offense and the Tampa team in general has been uh, lights out this season. Um, it, it it'll we'll really get a real gauge of where this this Rams team is. Stafford has been uh, he's been great. You know, there's still he still sometimes and he had the dumb interception against Indy, yeah. um, and that's some of the stuff with Stafford that held him back in Detroit. Uh, I think there was a perception this all season that Stafford was like a port, a perfect quarterback that was only held back by playing for the Lions. Um, he's not he's not a perfect quarterback. He's a, he's a very good quarterback that does a lot of great things and does a lot of things better than Jared Goff did, but. Uh, He's gonna make mistakes, and that that's that's stuff that I think McVay is willing to deal with because of the upgrade and the the stuff that Stafford gives you. So, yeah, I mean it's gonna be a great matchup. Um, I I still, I mean, I think Tampa right now is so locked in. You know, I don't think they're gonna go seventeen and all. I know I know some people out there, they Skip Bayless might be predicting they're gonna go seventeen and all. I I'm not. I have too much respect for everything we're on the lead to think that no one can take them out, but. Um, but I, but this team it looks they look like a tough out. They look like a team I'd be surprised if they're not in the conference championship game if they're healthy uh, down the stretch. Um, so many weapons on offense. They they look more locked in offensively than they were last year. Yes. Um, and there was concerns that you know that it, when you bring a when you bring a guy back or bring all these guys back, do you not have do you, do you do you do you lose some of that juice? Do you lose some of? Do you not have enough new, or do you have more of the same? And do guys right. get kind of complacent after winning Coming a championship? With championship, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we haven't seen that so far. I mean, AB is having the best year he's had since he was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, you know, and he he may or may not play due to some yeah, COVID I, stuff. Yeah, but, I think he's I think he's out. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but even then. Or I guess Scotty Miller is gonna have to move up in the in the depth chart. Boo hoo! Like they've got a lot of. You know, I guess OJ Howard might be getting more more snaps. You know, like they've got so many guys offensively that they can go to that. I you know, this Tampa team is tough. You know, they're gonna have to survive some injuries. Um, you know, they're talking about maybe bringing in Richard Sherman to replace Murphy Bunting, who got hurt in that first game against Dallas. I don't know, but we'll see. But. I, I like Tampa in this game. Uh, I think they're the better football team. Yeah, uh, AB is, is is on the COVID list. He hasn't been ruled out just yet, but he has tested negative twice in order to get back on the field. So we'll have to see um, if he's able to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the Rams have looked really good. I mean, they, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, even though I, I, I talked about I had concerns about them. Um, a lot of it was I think they're probably the second best team, and I think – some of those things you talked about with, you know, New, Tampa kind of bringing everybody back and kind of just assuming everything will just be okay. I mean, it's I I, I understand wanting to bring all those guys back because they're damn good football players, but you know, I I, I did wonder just, just something seems to usually go wrong when these teams try to get back to the Super Bowl, and I didn't know what it would be, but I sparked it. I I, I marked that something would happen, and and that would maybe uh, be the difference. But you're right. I mean, it is scary how good their offense has been. I mean. You know, the Cowboys showed in week two that their defense seems to be much improved. I mean, and they had a lot of problems with the Bucks in week one, but you know, it we you know, Cowboys even that was, you know, historically bad came into week two against another really good offense that lit it, well, I didn't say lit it up against Washington, but you know, played pretty good against Washington, had a lot of problem problems against them in week two, uh, as well. So 
if the Bucks put hanging, you know, I know they had a pick six in there, um, but but hanging forty eight on on Atlanta, and just looking how as efficient as they looked offensively, it, it, it's like they it's like they put their gas their foot on the gas pedal and then sometimes they pull it up, and you know Falcons will be able to come back a little bit and they're able to just jam it right back down whenever they need to. I agree they're gonna be a tough out, but the Rams I think are they're the team. If there's anybody that that can that can match them because of their ability to get pressure, um, their ability to turn you over, and it's all going to come down to whether or not they get even play from Stafford, which I do agree is a little more concerning. I think some people give it credit for. We know that he's very talented. We know he could put up big numbers, but you know, turnover bug can be a problem with him at times. Uh, again, we did see one bad pick in that last game. So I think that's going to be a question mark. But when we look at the weapons they have, Cup looks fantastic. He's having a great Cooper season Cup, so far. Man. I mean, he's just lighting it up. Yeah. And and then and then you got Van Jefferson and, and Robert Woods. We know, uh, yeah. you know, those guys are really Sean good. Sean Jackson's on that team. Darrell he's Henderson, my guy, my guy, my guy Henderson, man. He he was good for me yeah. in fantasy football last year, and I, I thought that you know, obviously losing Acres was going to be a problem, but Henderson was really good and. Yeah, they went and got something with Michelle, but I don't. I think they realized that they might not have needed to do that because Henderson has done a great job uh, out of the backfield. So they got a really strong offense. They protect Stafford well, and their defense is elite. So I think we're going to be in for a great football game. Um, I'm, I think the Rams will, will pull off a minor upset here. I don't. Well, they actually might be favored. I don't know who's favored, but um, I think most people maybe assume. Or most people are probably picking the Bucks, but I'm actually going with the Rams. And to make a little bit of a statement here, maybe the Bucks not kind of understanding like what this game is about. You know, the Bucks they, they have Super Bowl aspirations, so week three game is not something I get up for. I think the Rams will treat this like this is a playoff game. I think it will be a very intense, very uh, uh, close game, but I think it will be a fun one to watch. But I think the Rams are showing me first through two weeks they look legit. I thought that Colts win was a good one. I know people may be down the Colts, but. The Colts playing in a home opener, a lot of you know, a lot of excitement. They were playing pretty well. I think that that was not an easy game to go get. So um, I'm excited to see this game on Sunday. I think it's going to be a, a great one. Well, let's uh, let's wrap the show now with Kendall's court here, uh, Kendall, as we hit the one hour and thirty minute marks. What do we got for the rest of this uh, the rest of the show? Yeah, um, real quick. I mean, obviously, this college football season has been uh, it's been electric. Um, we we saw, uh, you know, last week we talked about where the season stacks up with some of these teams, and it became a clear it became clear that we talked about how there wasn't a lot of good in college football, and that the one or wasn't a lot of great rather that the one true dominant force seemed to be Alabama. Um, obviously, Alabama uh, barely survived, <laughs> you know, the the Emory Jones onslaught in in, in the swamp. Uh, last week against Florida. And right now, we have to start asking the question, is anybody great right now? Um, Alabama showed some, they showed so, some, some human aspects. They showed some, some signs of, uh, of, of being, you know, good but not great. And we've seen that across the country. Obviously, we just saw, we've seen, a, a, it seems like, I don't have the numbers, but it just seems like there has been a lot, there have been a lot of FCS beating FBS schools. There's been a lot of group of five beating power five. Uh, we saw this week Fresno State beat uh, UCLA. 
Uh, shout out to Jay Kaner. Um, this is the same Fresno State team that almost beat Oregon, that beat Ohio State. Ohio State team that this week almost lost to Tulsa, and is really really in their in their own right. Um, so right now parity is through the roof in college football. Um, it feels like every game matters. Yes, those teams at the top are still the best teams. Clemson barely survived against Georgia Tech. I mean, we joked last week that, yeah, Miami will probably be Georgia Tech. I don't know. Will they be Georgia Tech? I mean, we saw how Miami looked against uh, Michigan State and how their two losses, really, in all three games, they've been uh, extremely underwhelming. So there's a tremendous amount of parity right now throughout the country. And I think that that's something that these that that needs to be investigated um where is this where where has this come from and my theory and i think the theory that is popular right now amongst uh fans of the sport um amongst coaches amongst experts is that one the transfer portal has created an environment that has made has made it to where guys that used to be second string third string guys at your normal power five school. Now we're just transferring. Well, no, I'm not going to, yeah, I was a four star, but I'm not going to wait to to play when this other school that may not, may it may be power five, may not even be power five is willing to take me. And so now you have that where these other schools have more power five level guys on their roster, even if they're not a power five school or more college football playoff type guys on the roster. than they may normally have had in, in previous times. The other factor real quick is this year we've got this concept of the super senior or these guys where we did, they weren't allowed guys were, are now allowed to have a free year, regardless of how many years they had eligible last year was a free, it was a free year. So we had a lot of guys that whose eligibility ran out, but they're still able to play. And guess who, guess, guess what teams don't have super seniors for the most for the most part, Alabama, sure. yeah, yeah, Ohio exactly. State, yeah, Clemson, those those <laughs> guys, their super seniors are in the league. Right. So those other schools that may not be Alabama, but may still have good players, may not have NFL guys, but they still have good college football players that got these guys back. They're older, they're more vet, they're more veteran, they're more seasoned. So now we're seeing these other schools catch up to the likes of an Alabama, maybe not Alabama. But catch up to the likes of an Oklahoma who's struggled, or a Clemson, or Georgia, or uh, Oregon, or Notre Dame, and those types of schools. So it's fascinating, and I think it, for for old heads like us, <laughs> super, I know, super old, but like for 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 guys like us that remember a time in college football where it wasn't like how it's been in the college football playoff era, where it feels like there's only four or five teams that have a chance to win it, like. I go back to the days where Kansas was the top three team in the country at one point, or South Florida, or Cal, yeah. you know, like, though Boston College with Matt Ryan, like, we're going, I feel, it feels like we're we're getting close to that era of college football, at least this season. Of course, Alabama will continue to be at the top, but I think we're going to see a lot of shakeup in the in that 5 to, to 20 range this season. I hope so, because I felt like, it felt like over the last few years that it was just the same teams and you just couldn't compete on the top level at this point. Um, and it was starting to get a little annoying. So I'm hoping that, that we do have a, a true sense of parity. I'm like, I'm, I feel, well, I think that one of the big things we're having too is I think the, you talked about it before. I think the, the kind of war of attrition when it came to losing the elite quarterbacks, I think finally caught up to some of these programs 
And I think we're starting to see them kind of maybe come back a little bit to earth in regards to, you know, the quarterback play at so many places aren't not being as great as it's been in years past. You talk about Ohio State and Clemson obviously being two uh, major ones. I'm going to put, I know Rattler is supposed to be all world, but I'm putting Oklahoma in there too. I mean, he hasn't looked all world. So <laughs> he has we not. know they had Jalen Hurts and they had Mayfield and they had Kyler. You know, Kyler. They had, you know, top-notch guys. So so to me, the, the quarterback play at some of these places is is not as good as it's been in recent years, and that we're starting to see that maybe that's kind of bringing some of these other teams back to the mean, as opposed to like Alabama. And, I know Alabama had, had a really good game against uh, Florida, a really competitive game. Um, I, I think that's more of an outlier. I think Alabama is still way better than everybody. Else. I think Florida is a tough, really good team, and a team that that has good players. And I think they played Alabama a tough game at home, and and it was the first time Alabama played a true road game. And I think they had some problems. We certainly saw, you know, with the snap count and things like that, that uh, Florida and that crowd really did help them a lot. And I don't want to just put on the crowd. I mean, they played a very good game. But I think maybe that top, top level, which I think we all agree is Alabama and Georgia, maybe not quite. But I think for everyone else, I do agree that there is definitely more parity. I mean, you know, Penn State went from winning, like, three games last year to, you know, now they're, they're sixth in the country. I think there's a say, chance. Yeah, go ahead. We have – a college football playoff that has like a two loss team in it. I agree with that. I think I another thing I, I agree with that. I think another uh factor too is I think that you know the the coaches at Michigan State, of course unfortunately I watched them just trounce Miami in the fourth quarter of this week. They talked about how last year was like a weird year where like there's so much stuff that they didn't even get to put into their team because of the COVID protocols with no spring practices and not being able to get in groups. And I, I think that some of the poor play we're seeing from these power programs, I think is, is, is some of it is that, I think. I think you're seeing these programs that had, it's like when these school teachers talk about how, like, you have these students who, like, should be much more advanced in their, in their you know, knowledge or, I guess, their, their schooling. Because you had this remote learning year, like, you know, they're not anywhere where they should be. I actually think that we're seeing that in college football. I think they're seeing programs that went out there and put a team out there and maybe they were good, maybe they weren't, but whatever, for whatever reason, those guys didn't make a jump or make the leaps that they should have from one year to the next year because so much wasn't done. I think you're seeing the opposite, too. I think you're seeing some teams, again, Michigan State, they felt like it was an advantage. They felt like now we're able to do things that we weren't able to do last year, and it's actually helped them. I think you're seeing some of that happen in both ways. I think you're seeing some teams make big leaps because they're finally getting guys on the field, and they're finally getting to do things they couldn't. I think you're seeing some teams that actually – feeling the detriment to those guys from last year not actually really improving and just going out there and just playing and, you know, and not really having the right kind of practices and the right kind of stuff. And maybe the transition to having a real full season, they didn't make the leap that they were supposed to. So I think that's some of that. But I made the quick thing about Penn State. I just wanted to mention, I said it on Twitter, um, the whiteout game at Penn State is the best atmosphere in college football. And I think anybody who is trying to argue that after watching Saturday night's game I think would be a lunatic. Like I, I, the, I, orange I bowl, the orange bowl when when the U is back, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean that that the, the first of all, sadly, the <laughs> orange bowl is not coming back, and it doesn't look like the U is coming back anytime soon either. But I'm just saying, so you man, don't you like, don't consider hard Hard Rock Stadium the orange bowl? No, no one does. Hard Rock Stadium is Hard Rock Stadium. Um, they play the orange bowl there, but it's not the orange bowl. But no, I mean, I mean that atmosphere. I mean, you, I, I really felt like, and 
we can talk about whether or not this should be happening. I would say it probably shouldn't be happening with these mass gatherings, like something like that, that mass where you have 120,000 people, 110,000 people, whatever they had. But it was, it did feel like that to me was the game that made me feel like, okay, college football is really back. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yes, there were there have been great crowds at all different places across the country, but that night, that game, the way those kids were playing on both sides, Penn State and Auburn, making big plays, uh, the crowd, the atmosphere, that made me feel like, oh wow, like college football is indeed the back. Like this is, this is, this feels like it's a real. This feels like the true kind of rebirth of college football. You know, you and got Clemson, Georgia playing in an NFL stadium. That's not the same. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and and to be fair, I think Florida and Alabama earlier in that day also kind of led up to that. Well, that was a really great crowd as well. But that I mean, that whiteout crowd is just fantastic. And I mean, outside of any other you know things that happened under the table, I don't know about. I certainly could see why if you were a kid in that Penn, Penn State area, in that Ohio Valley area, why do you want to play in that? And I think as I told you off air, I felt like I was recruiting against Penn State. And maybe Penn State wasn't part of the recruitment. I'd re- I'd use that to recruit kids to come to my Big Ten school. Say, look, this is the kind of games you're going to be playing in. Like, look at that atmosphere. Look at how those guys in Auburn, how they were balling out in that atmosphere and how that made that game great. I mean, that was fantastic. I, I'd never gotten to get to uh, a Beaver Stadium game, even though my mom is a Penn State grad. So, I mean, put that out there, Ma. Help me out. Get me to one of those games, hopefully, when we're not in a pandemic. Um but no, I tried to get that it's shot. Funny I thought, I I thought like that was a fantastic atmosphere. Excitement behind this college football season uh, is bigger, as as big as it's been in in, in in a long since I've seen in a long time. Um, I think because we 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 almost didn't have it for a long time last year. You know, in a lot yeah, of yeah, I think I think last year almost didn't feel like a real season. Without and the, so without like now it's like we now 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 there's like a it's almost like a you know you, we didn't miss it till it was gone. You know, and now we realize yeah. what what how great the sport is, and now we, and you know I think we'll see it in college basketball in some degree as well. Uh, this this appreciation for the sport. I mean, we talk about college basketball how that's a sport that is kind of you know it's a one month sport for a lot of people in, uh, in March, mm-hmm. and you know I think we'll see uh, an even greater appreciation for for college basketball when that comes back as well. Yeah, I feel like. The college sports were hurt more by not having fans in the stands than I think the pro sports were. And I think college football was hurt, them, hurt, hurt the most. That was yeah. a sport to me that looked most foreign, not having fans. Because having these fans the last three weeks, it's just been like, this is, I mean, these atmospheres are just awesome. And again, that, I mean, I, I got chills watching that Penn State game. Just like, just a, again, an electric atmosphere. And I hope everybody was safe. I hope everybody didn't come out of that in any bad shape. Um, due to the COVID stuff, but but just a just a, a marvel to watch, and I think that I think you know the Big Ten is starting to look real interesting because Iowa, be Iowa State, Penn State looks like they're having a resurgence. Um, Michigan's undefeated, so this this you know Ohio State has kind of owned this conference. The other bigger schools that we expect to kind of be in the conversation. Are starting to make their names and their and their, their voices. Wisconsin's heard got a big game early this season. Wisconsin's got a monster game at noon against Notre Dame. I will be watching that game. Michigan State unfortunately pounded the Canes. They're three and zero. So, yeah. Big Ten football, Kendall, maybe Some making pain, a man. maybe making a resurgence. I know we talk about the SEC all the time, um, 
And, you know, Florida looked great against Alabama. Georgia, you know, the South Carolina coach was basically like, yo, Georgia has 105 stars. That's why we got beat by 30. <laughs> Did you see his post-conference press conference? Beamer. <laughs> yeah, Shane Beamer. They, they asked him, what, you know, what was the problem? Like, what, what, why do you guys have problems with their defensive front? He was like, well, they have a 340-pound kid who runs 100 times faster than everybody else in this room. And they have, like, 10 five-stars starting on defense. I mean, look, this is what we talked about before. Like, Georgia Georgia actually has more five-stars. Like, so, he's like, so I mean, you're talking honestly about why we had trouble. Um, they have the best players in the they have, I think they have the record for the most five- and four-star prospects. Their defense, is, their defense is absurd. Yeah, it's like you can't move the ball against them. So, um, so I, and like, so again, I know the SEC is strong. Uh, Ole Miss, you can score on everybody. Um, Arkansas looking strong. I mean, I'm, uh, you're, uh, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of things to be excited about for this college football season. BYU beating up on the Pac-12. They're 3-0 to start this season. Uh, will they be in the conversation late in the season? I mean, it's it's a lot of narratives. You know, we're not saying very much about the Big 12 and the ACC. I think that's for, for good reason at this point. <laughs> at this point, because not much to talk about for uh for those conferences. But I think that's a good place to wrap the show, guys. So I want to thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. Of course, if you enjoy our show, you can catch all of them on the New Generation Podcast Network. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media, for all new content, not just on sports, but superheroes and Star Wars as well. Also, be sure to share, uh, check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast, and Facebook, New Generation Media. You can find us individually on social media. Kendall is uh, New Gen Ken on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week and your weekend. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>